morning. Happy Sunday. Let me say a prayer for us. Dear Father, we love you. We trust you. We are so, so thankful for what a wonderfully good God that you are. We are thankful that we can build our life on you. We pray that you would help us today, encourage our hearts, strengthen our faith, give us hope that we might be the men and women you've created us to be. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, in his book, Drive, Daniel Pink challenges how most of us see the idea of motivation. Most of us were taught somewhere along the way or we grew up, motivation is this carrot and stick approach. You reward what's good and you punish what's bad. So rewarding the activity that you like will get you more of it. Punishing the activity you don't like will get you less of it. And Pink says this is actually a huge mistake, that the secret to motivation and performance and satisfaction at work, at school, at home, it's the need to direct our own human lives. It's this need to learn and create new things and to do better by ourselves and our world. So he says really what motivation is tied to is it's three big ideas. Autonomy is being able to direct your own life. You have autonomy in your choices and the things that you do. Mastery is the ability to grow and get better. And then purpose is what's your purpose? Why does it matter? What difference are you making in life? And he says, we're not really destined to live passive and compliant lives. We're designed to be active and engaged. And he shares this really cool story. He spoke with a woman named Claire Booth Luz, and she served in the U.S. Congress. And in 1962, she offered advice to the President John F. Kennedy. She said to Kennedy at the time, a great man is known in one sentence. And so she went through some of the presidents and summed them up in one sentence. She said, Abraham Lincoln's sentence was he preserved the union and freed the slaves. Franklin Roosevelt's uh, sentence was he lifted us out of the Great Depression and helped us win a world war. And so she used this advice for Kennedy because she was afraid that so much of his attention was spread between different priorities and that he was going to be muddled with what his sentence was. And so the challenge was, what was your sentence? And he uses this example to help us think about with our life and how to get oriented to what our greater purpose is, who we want to be, who we're going to become. Think about if you had to sum up your life in one sentence, what would it be? So that's what she says. That's what Pink gets us towards. What's the big question that you ask? As you contemplate your life and who you are, what's your sentence? If you had to, like, get a piece of paper out right now and write down your sentence, how would you sum up your life, right? They raised kids who became happy and healthy adults. Um, she invented a device that made people's lives easier. Uh, he cared for the people who walked into his office. Um, she taught two generations of how to read. So these are just examples that he gives. How, if you had to go through, what would your big question to be of what's your sentence? And then he says, once you know that, once you've thought about what your big question is, keep asking small questions. Because what happens is we don't achieve mastery in life overnight. You have to chip away at it little bit by little bit by little bit. Anybody who's ever done a big thing knows you spend a lot more time grinding through the small tasks than you do crossing the finish line when everybody's cheering and excited. So his key to motivation is, at the end of each day, ask yourself this question. Were you better today than you were yesterday? Were you better today? Did you 
uh, do better? Did you do more? Did you do it well? Instead of trying to say, I was perfect today, I was flawless today, it's not about being master. It's every day making small measures of improvement. So you can't master it in three days, but the best way of ensuring that you do master it by day 3,500 is every single day asking the small question, was I better today than I was yesterday? So I find it interesting because this idea of motivation and who we're going to become, every day we're making decisions about who we are. Whether we actively make them, passively make them, these decisions we make build habits into our life, and over a lifetime, thousands of decisions are being made. And what happens is some of them are small and inconsequential, others are huge and make a big difference. But for good or for bad, every day we're making decisions and building habits that strengthen the person that we want to become and habits that don't. So our job, if we want to be healthy, active, motivated people, is to say, what healthy habits do I need to build into my life to be the person that I want to be, to achieve the goals, the person that God designed me to be? How am I going to make decisions based on that big purpose, that big idea? And so for us, as we think about this, one of the biggest decisions that we make in our life is, who are we doing life with? What's keeping us motivated as we pursue our purpose? And what's uh, the group that's around us that's challenging us for what we're trying to master? And the healthy relationships that we need that are growing us into the best versions of ourselves. What's interesting is, if we want to be motivated for life, we have to have groups around us that are strengthening us and encouraging us. We were built to be in relationship. There's all kinds of studies, it's so fascinating, that's being done into the benefits of social connection and the damage from lack of connection. So on one side, the benefits of social connection is improved physical health, mental health, emotional well-being, uh, lowers levels of anxiety, depression. This is interesting. One study found that 95% of the people who started a weight loss program with friends completed the program, right? How many times it's January 1st and there's all these goals and there's all these uh, plans for the year that don't get finished, but people who did it with somebody else, somebody, uh, the group of people who exercised with somebody that was a little bit better than them increased their workout time and intensity by 200%. Because just by being somebody who was a little bit further along, a little bit better than they were, it pushed them and gave them accountability to work a little bit harder. On the other end of the spectrum, there's studies into damage from the lack of connection. So if a baby is fed, but deprived of any attachment or bond, they won't grow and develop the way they should. They have lower body weights, experience more illness, and can even fail to thrive. They've done scans on brains of babies that show space in where their neurons didn't form and where their systems didn't grow. Their brains weren't complete because of the lack of connection. This matters because we were made to do life with other people. God didn't create us to do this life alone. And a really, really smart guy named Solomon spent a lot of time thinking about life. 
and he wrote a book, it's called Ecclesiastes, and he questions the absurdity of life. Sometimes we can look a lot around and just say life is weird, it's absurd, it doesn't make sense. Sometimes it's crazy and it's not logical and we can't make the pieces. And as he was thinking about these things, here's what he remembered. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting at verse 9. He said, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. If two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So he has this idea and he says this. We're better together because together we're able to help each other succeed. You can get more done with a group than you can by yourself. If we were trying to get everything done that we did cleaning and working yesterday, a fraction of it would have gotten done. But because some awesome people came and showed up, we got way more done with different gifts and different strengths. We can be there to lift each other up when we fall because life, in life, we fall and we need a hand that's there to help us up. We can grow from the warmth of connection and we find strength in numbers. So he's talking about this idea of when we weave our lives together, we become the kind of people who aren't easily broken. We become a community that can help each other and fill in the gaps of life. When we get knocked down, we have people there to help us and encourage us and strengthen us. Now it's interesting because whenever we see something like this, we have to ask ourselves the question, why would Solomon feel the need to offer this wisdom? Like, what had he learned in life? What had he discovered? Most of us, like, intuitively know it's better to have people around us. It's not a shocking piece of information. We see people having fun things together, and we're like, that looks fun. I want to do that. Or we feel like that tension of being left out when others are doing stuff we wish we could do. We get the idea of connection, but really what prevents us why did Solomon say this? What gets in the way of us doing life connected well to others? Now, I think it's interesting because when we ask ourselves that question, we come at it from a different way. Life happens, and we experience things in life. Some of us experience hurt. At some point in our life, we got hurt by the people we trusted. We got hurt by the people we should have been safe with. We got hurt by a group that we should have been able to count on, and we thought, like, we're in this together, and we were, and they weren't. We got hurt by the people who should have protected us. And whenever we feel that kind of hurt, we go into protection mode, right? I don't want to feel this way again. That was terrible, so I'm going to do what I can to prevent it. We shut ourselves off from each other. We shut ourselves off from the type of relationships that might hurt us or the type of connection that creates the possibility of that happening. And whenever we experience this kind of hurt, we shield ourselves. We put up the kind of armor that tries to protect us from being hurt again. But inevitably, that shield, that armor, that distance we create hurts us more from the very connections that we need. Sometimes we lack connection because of our own insecurities. Life is constantly showing us what we're lacking at, right? Like, I might know something, and then inevitably, five seconds later, I'll discover the 500 things that I don't know anything about. 
We look at other people and they seem to have it all together and they seem to just have it so easy and things come naturally to them and that pricks our own insecurity and we feel awkward and weird and we feel like, why does their family look amazing and mine is a mess all of the time? Or why do they have so many friends and it just comes naturally? Why do I feel alone? Or we feel shy or not good enough or aware of all of the places we aren't enough or we're not like other people. And those insecurities, whatever they are, push us away from people instead of toward them. It makes us feel bad about ourselves instead of curious about other people. So sometimes hurt prevents connection, sometimes insecurity, sometimes disappointment. If there's something you can count on, like without fail, as human beings, we're just really good at disappointing each other, right? We're good at letting each other down. We start life with all these expectations and dreams, and then life gets hard and twisty and weird, and those hearts that once longed for so much more kind of settled or got comfortable with mediocrity and what once seemed hopeful and promising just now seems kind of eh, impossible, out of reach, and not worth it. Disappointments happen, and unchecked disappointments lead to bitterness and despair, and the more bitter we feel, the more hardened we become to each other and new experiences. Now, those three make sense, right? Like, we can think about it, we can intuitively understand it. Here's the one I'm going to challenge us with, because I think this is the hardest one to admit. A lot of times, what prevents us from having healthy connection is our own stubbornness. We get stubborn and unwilling to change and unwilling to see things from a different perspective. We become unwilling to be open to different people, different ideas, and new experiences. We get so set in how things are, we can't see how our own stubbornness is pushing away or hurting the people around us. Life becomes one big self-fulfilling prophecy, right? That's just one more example of how terrible people are. It's not worth my time. It's not worth my change. And we get so stubborn and cling to the wrong things that we don't see how hurtful and damaging it is to connection around us. This is why Solomon reminds us, yeah, life is weird and it's twisty and it's awkward and it's messy, but connection matters even when life is hurtful, even when it's disappointing, even in the peak of our own insecurities and our own stubbornness, we still need people. We're still better together and created for a life of connection and growth. And his words become a challenge to us not to close ourselves off from one another, not to harden our hearts or to turn away from each other. Instead, to live life constantly. Yes, I was hurt. Yes, I was disappointed. It doesn't mean it's inevitable every time. Or even in the midst of hurt, good can still happen. Life can still happen. And to keep ourselves open with soft hearts, willing and able to connect with others. It's interesting. Um, Vice Admiral Murthy was a Surgeon General in the U.S., and he wrote an article about loneliness. And this was years and years and years ago, especially as it shows up in the workplace. He said, loneliness and weak social connections are associated with a reduction in lifespan similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness is associated with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, depression, and anxiety. And in the workplace, loneliness reduces task performance, limits creativity, and impairs other aspects of executive function such as reasoning and decision making. Listen to what he said. 
is years ago, before anything that happened in the last couple of years, the world is suffering from an epidemic of loneliness. If we cannot rebuild strong, authentic social connections, we will continue to splinter apart in the workplace and in society. Instead of coming together to take on the great challenges before us, we will treat, retreat to our corners, angry, sick, and alone. We must take new action now to build the connections that are the foundation of strong companies, strong communities that ensure greater health and well-being for all of us. Isn't that interesting? Years before the craziness that the world took, we were already in a place where loneliness was rampant and we see it show up all of the time. Our world changed, our communities changed, our norms changed. In so many places, people have retreated to their corner angry, sick, and alone. We need healthy community and relationships. Timothy Keller reminds us, we believe the world was made by a God who is a community of persons who've loved each other for all eternity. You were made for mutually self-giving, other-directed love. The same thing that Solomon says, the God who made us, made us for relationship. Think about this for a second. God didn't have to make us, but he did. God didn't have to send Christ into the world to build relationship and ways to him with us, but he did. He thought community and relationship were so important. Christ came into the world that we might know him and do life with him. We were created for community, for service, for love, because life is better when we're together with our family, with our friends, with our church, with our community. There's nothing worse than trying to do it alone, than figuring it out alone or working through the hard phases alone. Life is always better when somebody's in your corner. And you don't need 500 people. You just need a few of the right people who will be there and help you and do life with you and Fill in the gaps that you can have fun together and challenge each other and learn together and grow each other and do this adventurous life with. So think about this. If God created us for community, if God created us for relationships and life together, what binds those relationships in the church together in a healthy way? And we see these ideas just woven through scripture, faith, hope, and love. In our relationships, in our lives, our choices, our hearts, the church is always supposed to be the place where people come together to try to live by faith. That's why I love our tagline so much. Real people, real faith, real life. You don't have to come in here perfect on a Sunday morning. Just be you. None of us are perfect, but we are trying to grow in our faith and in our life, and the church should be known by how we love, by how we treat one another, and a voice of hope for the future. We have such a profound faith in who God is that our hope for the future is in what he's going to do next. And it expresses itself in our love for each other. God thought this was such an important idea. If you want a homework assignment, go home. Get out your Bible or go online and just look up one another. In the New Testament, there's over 50 commands to one another each other. It's like, love one another, forgive one another, help one another, serve one another, build one another up, stir one another to, love, uh, to um, good, good works. And you, you can't one another alone. <laughs> you need people. You need a group. So the question becomes, who's our group? Who are we doing life with? 
who's your one another where you get to practice these ideas of life and one of the best gifts that god gives us is the church that we get to one another with i love our church we have an awesome church I love the teams that we get to serve with. We did some messy work yesterday. I got home and I was dirty and I was messy. I stunk a little bit. But we got awesome stuff done and the church looks amazing and there's new spaces and new things happening. I've never been on a team that I've got to do awesome stuff with that I've been disappointed in. I've been serving in some way in the church since I was a kid. I mean, I'm a, I'm a preacher's kid. So like I was doing stuff in the church like back in the day when... But I've served on all kinds of teams, and I've always been encouraged by the incredible hearts that people have to serve Jesus Christ. I've every time done anything. We're going on a mission trip this summer for our teenagers, and I'm going to go sleep on a floor somewhere, and we're going to serve in a community. I've never gone on a mission trip where I've come home and not seen God do awesome stuff in the lives of our kids. I've always been a better person for every team that I've gotten to serve alongside. We have awesome groups here at Christ Church. Teams doing ministry together, life together, learning together, growing together. Every week we have teams that show up to serve the church and make Sunday an incredible place to be. We have people making coffee that's so much better than the coffee I can make. We have um, people who work our soundboard and our technology I don't know the goodness of technology, but my friends do, and it's amazing. It's why we can be online right now. We can be all the different places. We have people welcoming each other at the doors, at the front door, and playing in the band, our awesome band. We have people who serve and love our kids every single week. Our kids are growing up in a place where they know they matter and God loves them. Every month we have teams come together and they pack food for the community and then we have teams that come together and hand food out in the community and it's hot in the summer and it's cold in the winter, but every person shows up with a smile in their face and joy in their heart and our community gets to see God is good. We love our community and we're here to serve. Our groups at Christ Church are amazing and whether it's serving together or doing life group together, every place we get to connect our hearts grow our faith is strengthened and our hope in the future is so much brighter in what god might do so the question is who are you doing life with maybe this is the year that we connect to a whole new group maybe it's a life group we have all kinds of groups that meet tuesday night thursday night a new group that started on wednesday night that's bilingual so if you want to come speak some spanish some english it's an awesome place to be seen and learn and grow and challenge each other. Maybe it's a ministry team where you can use your giftedness to serve and have fun together and hand out food in the winter time with some fancy gloves on. Or It's just part of being in a place where people get to know you, where you get to be known by somebody else, where people can pray for you and cheerlead you and teach you and encourage you and you in turn can do the same for somebody else we get to learn from each other and help each other and take care of each other if we aren't on a group like this yet we're missing out on a huge piece of what god wants to do in our life and in our faith we have a connect group that's starting in February, so if you haven't got connected, it's a huge, awesome place to jump in. You can learn about who we are as a church, how to get involved, how to be part of the dream team, see where you might plug in. 
we have amazing groups happening, life is better on a group. It's better together. If you aren't connected yet, see us out on Main Street. We've got some cool places to sign up. If you're online, there's places you can click on to get connected. Let us help connect you to something this year. See what God might do when you weave your life into the life of other people, where God might grow you and challenge you and help you and encourage you. I love these words by the poet Delmore Schwartz. It says, love is the most difficult and dangerous form of courage. Courage is the most desperate, admirable, and noble kind of love. What if we had the courage to be seen and known this year? The courage to connect and grow, to love and be loved, and see what God might do when we sync up and do our lives together. Dear Father, I pray that you would help us. I recognize that there are things standing in the way of us connecting with one another. So I pray that you would give us the strength, the courage, the faith, the hope that we need to get better connected, to do life with each other this year. I pray, Father, that in the church you would do an awesomely great new good work that we might grow and develop and strengthen our faith with one another. I pray that in these connections, Father, you would shine a light in our community that people might see how wonderful, how good, how great that you are. Thank you for the gift of each other. Thank you for the gift of the church that we get to know each other, grow together, and love one another. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.